We are beginning a new section in this study. You see at the top of the sheet, section five, talking about the nature of the Holy Spirit. It can also be called pneumatology, and you'll understand why that's so here in just a few minutes. But uh, we just finished the, the section on Christology, which is the study of Christ. And now for the next several weeks, we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I would venture to guess that you all would agree that the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity who is the most mysterious. Thank you. He is just like mysterious, isn't he? Like what? Yeah, well, what's going on with him, huh? Well, we will uh, talk about that over the next few weeks. Just realizing these were not hole-punched, sorry. You can uh, make your own holes for this one. That'd be real fun. A project for you. See if you can make that line up there. But uh, I want to start here with this brand new section by asking these questions and just kind of see where we are. Who is the Spirit and who has the Spirit? So let's start with that first question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Okay, so he is... uh, How would you uh, just say it direct to the point? Someone who just has no idea who he is. He's God. Okay, so you can just really cut to the chase there and say he's God, right? So that's good. Anything else we want to add to who the Holy Spirit is? Okay, so uh, especially when we start talking about the Holy Spirit's ministry to the Christian, our conscience plays a big part in that. Okay, well, we'll get into that in the coming weeks. Who has the Spirit? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, all right. So, is it all people or is it just Christians? That's a very important question to answer, isn't it? And we'll seek to do so from the Bible here in the coming weeks. Okay, good, good. Thanks for giving me some feedback. How would you describe the Holy Spirit? Okay, dwells within, friend, what else? Other words we can throw out there. Okay, yeah, that's good. He doesn't look like us, does he? (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) Okay, Dean mentions assurance. You want to elaborate on that just a little bit? Very good. Yeah, there's a an element for the Christian that the Holy Spirit is like a channel of God's hope. He, uh, he, the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. That's Romans chapter 5. And the end of that, I don't know, I don't know, it might be one sentence. Uh, it's five verses. But the end of that, it says, this is all leading to hope. God pours out his Spirit and he's giving us hope through that. Okay, good. Anything else to add at this juncture? How you would describe the Holy Spirit? Well, what, you've said all correct things uh, so far, but I don't know what you're grasping for. Yes, and we'll actually see that in today's uh, passage in the sermon. We have in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he's our guarantee, or some translations say down payment. Uh, the translation we're looking at today says pledge, same idea, or earnest, like you think of earnest money. Yeah, same exact word, down payment. Uh, The Holy Spirit is our guarantee of what is to come, right? 
All right, well, let's, let's get into uh, this. I hope today to make it through the end of um, the section on the Holy Spirit's deity, and then next week we can just focus on Jesus' teachings about the Holy Spirit there in the book of John. So uh, let's start with the basics here. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which can mean breath or wind. So if you've ever worked with pneumatics, it gets its name from this Greek word, which means wind, breath, or spirit. Okay, so it has to do with uh, something that's invisible, right? New, wind, breath, spirit, you can't see these things. Uh, there's an element of wind, okay, and uh, you'll see that connected to the Holy Spirit in a couple places in the New Testament. But the Holy Spirit, the word for spirit is pneuma, all right? That's what that's about. And the Greek word for holy is Hagios, which is also the root word for saints. It means to be set apart or to be sacred. So the Holy Spirit is the, the Spirit who is set apart, the Spirit who is sacred, the Spirit who is holy. Right? That's how you can think about that a little bit. And I need to close these blinds. There is a white fence out there, and it is bright. Ah, okay. Very good. If my transition lenses worked inside, I would be okay, but... All right, so they're your Greek words today. Those are the Greek words you're getting today, spirit and holy, all right? The Holy Spirit of God is the person commonly referred to as the third person of the Trinity. Now, there's nothing wrong with using that language, first, second, third person of the Trinity, though the Bible doesn't give us that language. We just have to be aware of that. The Bible doesn't say the Father is the first person of the Trinity, the Son is the second person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And you just need to make sure that when you're using such terminology, you don't have any bad thinking when you say that. Because what that can mean is, well, God the Father is the first person, so He's always existed, and then He created Jesus, and Jesus became the second person, and then they created the Spirit, and He became the third person. No, because remember, there's this huge distinction between creator and creation. Creation came into existence in a point in time. Creation can never be God. Creation can never bridge the gap and become creator. So we believe that Father, Son, and Spirit, all three are creator. There is one God, and He is eternally revealed in these three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So just be careful when you use that language to make sure you're not saying something incorrect. All right? And there's no rank or order also in the Trinity. Uh, it's not Father is, the Father's the real God. And the Son is, He's God, but He's not the real God. And the Spirit, well, He's God too, but no one knows anything about Him. Okay, that, don't start thinking that way. Okay. Yeah, right, yes. Sidekick, sidecar God. Yeah, we don't want to do that, all right? And He is indeed a person. So this is your next blank there. He is indeed a person. So we must always refer to him as he. He is not a force. He is not a presence. He is not a ghost. He is not a dove. He is not a poltergeist or any other it type being. Okay. So now that I have taught you this, it is going to be my job in your life to make sure anytime you accidentally say it for the Holy Spirit, I say he. Okay. You'll say something on accident You'll say, well, yeah, the Spirit, it was just convicting me the other day. And I'll say, he. Okay? 
That's just going to be our relationship now, just so you know. Okay? That's a, a new, another element to what we got going on here in our friendship. So any questions on this so far before we get into passages? Yes, Connie. So at his ascension, yes, yeah, I, I would put it as at his ascension, um, because what you have is uh, Passover, where Jesus died on the Jewish calendar. He's our Passover lamb. He died at Passover, and he walked the earth for how long? Afterwards, forty days, forty nights. Then there's a ten day gap between his ascension after forty days and Pentecost. Pentecost. You know, we have the Pentagon, it's five sides. Penta means something related to five, okay. Uh, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So you have Jesus ascending uh, to heaven, and then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And Jesus taught, and we'll look at this next week, Jesus taught that the Father sends the Spirit and He sends the Spirit. The Father sends the Spirit in His name, and Jesus even uses the language, I will send you the Spirit. Okay, but it did happen after his ascension. Good. Other thoughts or questions? So he was active, but in a different way. You can read the Old Testament and see language referring to the Holy Spirit. Uh, praise God for that, right? Uh, that they weren't just aimless. But what you see is his coming and his going. You see that in the, uh, probably most prominently, in the life of Saul. King Saul, who uh, was the precursor to David, the first king in Israel, he would have these experiences with the Holy Spirit. And the, the narrator tells us in Scripture, the Holy Spirit came upon him, like when David would play his harp, and then the Holy Spirit would leave. And now that's interesting. And then you actually even have David himself, after he was found out in his sin with Bathsheba, he prayed in Psalm 51, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, which means it was an option. Okay. Then you get into the New Testament era, and what you have is the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and now the language that's being used by the apostles is that we have permanently the Holy Spirit. Paul says, uh, and we'll look at this in the coming weeks, but to give you a preview, Paul says in Ephesians 1.13 that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's the language that's used, we were sealed. And in Ephesians 4.30, the same letter, so you've got Ephesians 1.13, and then Ephesians 4.30, he actually gives us a time frame. He says, you were sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption. So, until the day that we are redeemed, uh, we can know for sure that we have the Holy Spirit. Redeemed meaning the redemption of our bodies. Okay? We have the ministry of the Holy Spirit with us. And it's not like in the resurrection, then the Holy Spirit ceases to exist. That's not the case. But, of course, His ministry toward us would change in that we would be in a sinless environment at that point. Yeah, you bet. Other thoughts or questions? I really thought someone was going to say, well, wait a second, isn't he called the Holy Ghost? None of you were thinking that? I, I, was, I was ready for that one. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, if you read the King James Bible, and over and over again, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Holy Ghost. Well, what's up with that? Uh, basically, this very quick short answer is, in older forms of English, ghost meant spirit, the same way that we say spirit today. What has happened to that word ghost is Casper the Friendly One came along, right? <laughs> We've had uh, a fascination with poltergeists, those types of ghosts. 
uh, that's really ramped up in our culture probably over the last couple hundred years. You know, you got to remember the King James Bible now is over 400 years old. That's an old English Bible. All right. And so uh, when we say ghost, we're not talking about someone who has died and is now like his spirit is with us as a ghost. Okay. That's not what happens. And uh, that's not what the Holy Spirit is. Okay. The Holy Spirit is not um, a ghost in that sense. He is a distinct person who has existed from the time of eternity past into the time of eternity future. Very good. So the, as I was explaining to Connie, that's when the Holy Spirit came upon the church for the first time in a permanent sense. So actually, you have this very interesting situation at the end of John's Gospel. In John uh, 20 or 21, I think it's 20, you have Jesus post-resurrection breathing on the disciples and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's weird. All right, that's just really weird. But apparently it wasn't permanent because what happens 50 days later, they are there at, gathered in the upper room praying together in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. They're praying. Uh, they've appointed Matthias to replace Judas. They uh, are all gathered together and then they have this, they hear the noise of like a violent rushing wind, it says. It's the noise they hear. And then tongues as of fire appeared over each one. And they all began to speak with other tongues, and then they make the connection, and tongues means languages, by the way. They spoke, spoke in real languages. Then they make the connection, oh yeah, Jesus said, John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so that is the baptism with the Spirit experience. And then it happens with Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. What, what is... Yeah, the day of Pentecost is when the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit for the church began. That's when we first see the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So, of course, they had experience with the Holy Spirit before, but not in the sense of He comes upon them to permanently indwell them and guide them. It, it was called the day of Pentecost. Yeah, it was a Jewish holiday. Yep. And, and we, we still call it Pentecost. We said, you know, Acts chapter 2, it was Pentecost, and that's when the Holy Spirit first arrived. He? <laughs> when did what begin? When did the... Oh, the day of Pentecost begin? On the Jewish calendar? Way back when. Yeah, well, I don't know the exact date, but it's during the time of Moses. So you're talking... Oh, 1,400 years before Christ. Uh, okay, gotcha. Just, just the holiday of the, on the Jewish calendar, yeah, that was during the time of Moses. Yep, yep. Okay. Gave you more than you wanted. Better than not enough. <laughs> All right, uh, this is a quote from Wayne Grudem. From the very beginning of creation, we have an indication that the Holy Spirit's work is to complete and sustain what God the Father has planned and what God the Son has begun. For in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And at Pentecost, with the beginning of the new creation in Christ, it is the Holy Spirit who comes to grant power to the church. And there are some references there, but yeah, we uh, all know the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And the very next verse mentions the Holy Spirit. Isn't that fascinating? Before you see the Father talked about by title, Father, before you see the Son talked about by title as the Son, you see the Spirit talked about by His title, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Pretty cool. Joe. Oh, okay. I don't know if I'll have the answer, but go ahead. In the New Testament, yes. Right. The Jews who did believe in Acts chapter 2, year, you know, whatever year AD that was, when that happened, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, 10 days after the ascension of Christ, you had believing Jews. If you remember, Peter preached that day and some 3,000 believed. And all of them who were believing Jews at that time were then filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they do. Pentecost to them is what it was to Moses. It was a festival on the Jewish calendar that was actually a time of sacrifice, a time of offerings uh, with the harvest and all of that. And so for them, it's the Old Testament holiday. Christians don't actually celebrate Pentecost. I mean, we, we can mark it out when it is on the calendar, but we're not having a celebration like we do on Resurrection Day, right? Um, because technically, like, every day is Pentecost for us. Every, like, every day is Easter for us. Every day is Christmas for us. Every day is Pentecost for us, too. Lizzie, were you raising your hand? Or was Sarah? Okay, all right. Okay, very good. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit's deity, and we'll all turn to Matthew chapter 12 together. Let's start looking at specific texts and seeing what we can learn. Matthew 12, 31 and 32. Maybe we'll start at 30. Matthew 12, 30 to 32, a very interesting passage. Would someone read that for us? Matthew 12, 30 to 32. Who would like to read? Who's got it? Go ahead, Stan. Now that is just a curious passage, isn't it? And because of how strong the consequences are here, how serious the consequences are, you read something like that and you just got to know what that means. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit Because the consequences are, you will not be forgiven of that sin. And if you're not forgiven of that sin, there is no heaven for you. Hey, now this is pretty serious stuff. Now, I'm about to give you a very unsatisfying answer. Because uh, what you want to do, if you're very curious about this, in the other Sunday school class, Gospel of Mark, uh, Tyler did a lesson on this about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And you can go on where all of our audio is, and you can find the one titled Blasphemy Against the Holy Spirit or Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you can access that, and he did a whole class on it. Give you all the options, because, of course, commentators all disagree, you know, it seems, and you get a whole bunch of different options. Uh, There are some that are crazy, and you come down to like two or three realistic options, and you kind of got to pick one. Uh, Now, I'll go ahead and just tell you kind of where I lean. The direction I lean on this is... 
during that time of Jesus's earthly ministry, those who were attributing his works to Satan as he was doing that, uh, that was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So he was performing those works before them. He was displaying the kingdom of heaven. If you remember how Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I have shown you the kingdom. Uh, Those who were saying that essentially God's kingdom was of Satan, then they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, didn't he? And in Isaiah 61, it's prophesied of the Messiah, your Holy Spirit has anointed me to preach. And so for those who were seeing Jesus' ministry and saying, well, this was the work of Satan, that was blasphemy of the Spirit. So I think it was limited to that time when people were watching the works right before their very eyes. There are some people, of course, who will say, well, this means denying the gospel itself. That's one thing you could, you could say, that this means just rejecting God until the day you die. And of course, that won't be forgiven uh, because you're dying in your sins. But um, I'm trying to think of another one, but those are the two main ones that I'm familiar with. So I, there are, of course, some of the wacky ones who say, if, if you repeat this phrase, this mysterious phrase that's written out, you know, uh, the, whether you're saying the spirit is a devil or whatever, but if you chant this phrase three times, then you're locked into going to hell. You know, people can get those ideas in their mind. I don't think that's the angle Jesus was coming from at all. I don't think Jesus was saying, avoid this hocus pocus and you'll be saved. You know, I don't think that's it. So you got to wrestle with that a little bit. Yeah, Rex. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, I guess the first thing to say is if you go back to Old Testament law in the Old Testament and you look at the uh, penalty for blasphemy, does anybody know what it is? Death penalty for blasphemy. So that's the first thing to be aware of. However you start to define it, you've got to be aware you're talking about life and death stuff here. Okay? If you blasphemed God in Israel, you got killed. The Holy Spirit being God, if blaspheming Him whatever, you know, exactly Jesus had in mind in that teaching, uh, you know, you can figure that out. But it means to slander him. That's essentially what it means, is to slander, is to uh, seek to defame or malign someone's character or someone's nature. That's what that means. And so uh, to do that to the Holy Spirit means that you won't be forgiven of that sin, according to Jesus. Uh, using the Lord's name in vain, uh, of course, there's a commandment about that. Do, do not bear his name in vain, which I think extends beyond just our speech into how we live also, because uh, we bear his name in all that we do. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's another way to use his name like a cuss word. Yeah, to have, uh, to have no sensitivity to the language we use about God is an indicator that someone either doesn't know him or is just... Extremely immature in the faith. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have to work through that. Rex? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why we got to figure out exactly what Jesus meant. Because it's not like people are going around, you know, we've got the cuss word GD. No one's going around saying SD, spirit D, you know. I mean, it's just not, people just don't use that kind of language. So I don't think he's talking about blasphemy like people are going around actively trying to say something mysteriously wrong about the, about the spirit. Or people are... Attrib- I don't know, people are attributing in just our everyday life uh, evil things to the Spirit. We just don't see that in life, 
And I, we don't see it in the accounts in the Gospels that people were doing that. But what we do see, and this is how people make that connection, what we do see are people saying, those works that, he, that the Son of Man does, he does them by the power of Beelzebub, the devil. And so that's the kind of the connection that people make there. You know, yeah, yeah, and well, I mean, the Jews themselves were saying that. Um, but then you get into the realm of Satanism, too, and that whole pagan-type religion, and it's nasty, wicked stuff. But, but you also see in the New Testament sorcerers getting saved. Yeah, so, I mean, you can, you can basically take any non-believing route, whether it's a false religion or it's atheism or something else, and you can make it out to sound like blasphemy of the Spirit. But then what you've got to say is, well, Jesus said they're not going to be forgiven of that. And so we have to define what that means in order to legitimately offer people forgiveness of sins, right? We can't say, well, you're an atheist. You blaspheme the Spirit, so you can't ever be forgiven. Uh, have a good day, <laughs> right? Um, that's just, that's not what we're called to do. Lizzie. <clears throat> no, I don't think so at all. No, I think, and again, in my view, I think this was limited to Jesus' primary, or his audience that was in front of him right then and there. So kind of like... Um, there are lots of things, actually, that Jesus said that had at least primary application, if not total application, to his current audience at the time he said it. You think of um, when Jesus promised his disciples, don't worry about what you will say in that day, uh, you know, it'll, my, it'll come to you what you should say. Is that a promise for all of us, or a promise for specifically his disciples who became apostles who wrote inspired scripture? Uh, next week, we'll look in uh, John where he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will help you remember all that I have said. Is that for us? Not in the same way as for the apostles. I mean, the apostles had to remember because you had to have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write gospels. And that took inspiration of the Holy Spirit to do that. All right. So um, I think this case of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, I think this is specifically for that audience that was around Jesus while he was working those miracles who, to his face, beholding water turning into wine, beholding you know, all these things they, they saw, blind people being healed, and then turning around saying, that's Satan. I think that is specifically what Jesus had in view. Okay? Um, and and you've got to think about how unique of a situation that was. To be walking with Jesus and to see a man who was blind from birth finally be able to see and to be a Pharisee or somebody and say, ah, Satan. That's serious stuff. Stan. Yes. There are, there are former atheists in this room. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. If God can save you, he can save an atheist. All right. A couple notes on here. <clears throat> <laughs> there are many possibilities when it comes to interpreting this. We've already gone through that. Um, what is most notable for the purposes of this class? Blasphemy is only a sin when it is committed against God. And here we have blasphemy of the Spirit being called a sin. The Spirit is God. Okay? We're establishing, again, in this point in the class, we've got a lot more to talk about with the Holy Spirit. But at this point, we're establishing His deity. It's a sin to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Okay? And uh, an unforgivable sin. He's God. Let's go to Acts now. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Yes. They're, they were saying the power that he had was Satan's power. 
Whereas the reality, of course, the power that he had was the very power of God, which I'm not saying, you know, we're going to do the same things as Jesus, obviously. But Christian, you too have the power of God. Pretty amazing. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead gives life to your mortal bodies, Romans chapter 8. It's pretty startling stuff. Yeah, Joe? So there's no real end to that kind of conversation, okay? Uh, because here's the thing, is saying, gosh, blasphemy. Saying, golly, blasphemy. Yeah, I mean, how far down the line you can go? What, what really is important is the heart. Obviously, a phrase that's so close to Jesus Christ as cheese and rice, okay, that's obviously indicating something, um, but language does change and evolve over time and, and everything else. So I don't think we should go around declaring whether someone is sinning with that kind of language. What we all need to do is check our own hearts on that and make sure that, well, I didn't say the word, even though I meant it in my heart and I'm super angry and bitter and I'm sinning in my heart. I didn't say the word, so I'm okay. That's what happens a lot of times, and we need to not do that. All right, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is a much more straightforward passage about the deity of the Holy Spirit. Let's have someone read that. First five verses of Acts 5. Rex, go ahead. I imagine it did. Yeah, that would be, that would be a wake-up call. So, um, pretty straightforward. you got this couple. Um, they're coming in. They've, they've conspired together to lie uh, to keep back some of the price of the land that they sold. Now, the lie uh, wasn't that they kept back part of it, or the sin wasn't that they kept back part of it. The sin was that they said that they were giving all of it. They said, I'm, we're going to give all the proceeds of the sale to the church. I'm sure there have been lots of people in the 2,000 years of church history who have said such a thing. This maybe was the first and Ananias keeps back part of it and presents it. And, you know, maybe the apostles are sitting there wondering, well, you only got 3500 for that, really. Okay, well, interesting. Whatever. Yeah, right. And so they told a lie. And what Peter says in verse 3 is that they lied to the Holy Spirit. Satan had filled their hearts, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. And according to verse 4, who did they lie to? God. They lied to the Holy Spirit, which is lying to God. Okay. Peter equates the Spirit with God himself by stating Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, thus he lied to God. If the Spirit isn't God, Ananias' death would be confusing. Because you don't just drop dead when you tell a lie to someone else, right? Yeah, you've told lies before. Whether they're white or black or somewhere in between, you've told them, and here you are. Yet, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and because of that, they lied to God, and they dropped dead. Immediate discipline. Well, whether you categorize it as blasphemy or not, it got the death penalty, right? Well, that's the last we hear of them. We just read... Actually, the, the first and the last that we hear from. <laughs> but uh, I would imagine they, they probably, 
I don't know. I mean, it's possible that they're in heaven. That's what I should say. It's possible. Um, you, the letter to the Corinthians that Paul writes, they're abusing the observing of communion, the Lord's table. And he says, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. He's not saying they lost their salvation. He's not saying they never were saved, but that's the discipline that God gave them. And you can make these kind of connections through church history. Be very, very careful with that and keep it to yourself when you do. But I think there are times when God takes people, his people, out of the earth, prevents them from sinning more or doing more harm or whatever. And it's a form of discipline. Yeah. Okay. Other thoughts or questions here on Acts 5? All right, um, in these two verses, I already mentioned Genesis 1-2, but along with Genesis 1-2, Job 33-4, we see that the Holy Spirit is creator. Let's all go to Job together. We don't get to turn to Job in this class super often. Job 33. And I'll read verses 3 and 4. Job 33 verses 3 and 4. And uh, if you didn't catch it, it's that blank you have in the middle of your page. These passages reveal that the Holy Spirit is creator. Job 33, starting at verse 3. My words are from the uprightness of my heart, and my lips speak knowledge sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So we see in verse 4 there, the creation function attributed to the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit of God has made me, and He's not saying, has just, He's brought me to where I am today, or He's made me the man that I am through character development or anything like that. Because in that same verse, He's talking about the breath that comes from God. And the Holy Spirit is equated with the Almighty who gives Him life and creates. Okay? So again, over and over again in this class, we will make sure this is abundantly clear. You have an infinite chasm that exists between creator and creation. And it will never be crossed as far as a, a creature being promoted to the status of creator. Won't happen. Can't happen. Because to be creator, you have to be eternal. And... Our opportunity to be eternal, to be infinite, has come and gone. <laughs> because to be eternal, you have to have no beginning. Now, we have eternal life, everlasting life. If you're a Christian, you can look forward to eternity future. But your opportunity to be truly eternal, both forwards and backwards, into eternity past, the horse has left the barn. Over. Opportunity over. And then add to it the fact that you're a sinner in need of redemption, and, and you're, just, you're never going to cross this chasm. can't happen. Okay? So you have to recognize that as a fundamental element of your worldview. If you're building out a worldview, uh, the circle of your worldview with all these thoughts in it, at the very center, highlighted, bright, all caps, a distinction between eternal creator and creation. That's got to be at the very heart of the way you see the world, especially when you're talking to Mormons, right? You think this will come up when you're talking to Mormons who believe in an infinite line of gods? This is critical. 
So you got to present to them how the Bible talks about this, okay? And the Holy Spirit is creator. That means he's not in this category with us, but he has eternally existed up here in this category. He is the creator of all things, worthy of all honor, praise, glory, worship for all eternity. He is God. Thoughts on them or questions? Making sense? Okay. All right. Well, let's look at at least uh, the first few of these, talking about the Holy Spirit's deity. First, we will see that he is eternal. So I was just making that claim that he is eternal. Well, there's also a Bible verse for that. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 9, one of the most confusing sentences in the way that it's structured in all of the Bible. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. It's one sentence. It's very long. And you have to read it six times to start grasping a portion of it. Hebrews chapter 9, toward the back of your Bible. And we'll read both 13 and 14. And again, this is one of those situations where there are 16 things for you to see and point out and ask questions about. But we have one main point, and that's to see the function and nature of the Holy Spirit in this passage. So who would read nice and slowly Hebrews 9, 13, and 14? Who can read that for us? Dean, go ahead. <laughs> and then you get to the end and find out it was a question the whole time. <laughs> it didn't tell me it was a question. <laughs> Isn't that just an amazing sentence? And you could sit there and parse and diagram that thing for like the rest of your life. There's just so much cool stuff to see. But let's hone in in the middle of that, the start of verse 14. It says, the blood of Christ. So we're talking about the work of Jesus in dying for us as our priest, our intercessor, offering this propitiation that we've talked about in the previous weeks. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse us. Okay. So what did Christ do? He died for us, but he didn't just die for us. He offered himself through the eternal spirit. That's a, a fuller way of thinking about it. He didn't just die. He offered the sacrifice of himself through the ministry of the eternal Holy Spirit. It's a pretty amazing verse. And you know, if you really want to reduce it down to the main point here is that the Holy Spirit receives the adjective eternal by the author. So the Holy Spirit is eternal, meaning no beginning, no ending. He is everla from everlasting to everlasting. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Okay? And no one is eternal except for God. No one, no one else can say, I had no beginning and I have no end. We've all had a beginning. Okay? And we're all going to have some sort of an end now. That means some sort of a judgment. That means some sort of a transition. Uh, but for those who are believers, we will have everlasting life. For those who are not believers, they will experience everlasting torment in the lake that burns with fire forever and ever. Okay. Yes. So, so on, and this is, you know, anytime I describe LDS theology, this is like on paper. So your neighbor may say something totally different, right? I mean, that's just how it goes. On paper... Their belief is because of the scientific law that matter can neither be created nor destroyed, nothing um, has ever come into existence out of nothing. So as Christians, we believe that God spoke and all things came into being. He did create out of nothing. 
because he has always existed. Well, in LDS theology, they say, no, they reverse it. And they say, no, God actually hasn't always existed as God, but matter has. So if you're just looking at eternality, who's the real God here? Atoms are the real God, right? Matter's the real God. So, so then what happens is, is there's a, an infinite regress of gods. Our God had a God and a grandfather God and a great-grandfather God and on and on and back it goes infinitely. All these gods had a beginning in that they were each men who had to earn deity. They had to exalt themselves through covenants and ordinances, the phrase they use. And they got promoted up to godhood status. And all they're doing is rearranging matter. All that these gods can do is take what they're given and rearrange it however they want. So even the LDS uh, explanation of Genesis 1, which you can find in the uh, book of Moses, when they get into that in the Pearl of Great Price, they talk about Jesus and Michael, the archangel, coming down to organize what's already there. So in, in a, a very big difference uh, from what we would say, which is you've got eternal creator and finite creation. That's a, you know what, I should say finite there, just to make sure the point is clear. Finite creation. And that includes everything down to the very last molecule that exists in our universe. So it's just a very different perspective. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a blend of a few different things. There's Eastern religion in that, too. I mean, there's, yeah. Other thoughts or questions? For sure, yeah. Uh, there are a couple other passages to add to that for those of you who are interested in this. Uh, you've got Revelation 4.11, which is an awesome verse about this. And then also Romans 4, I can't remember if it's 10 or 11. Um, oh, it wasn't, it's not 4 or 11, it's 4 something. Now I've got to find it. You know how this goes. It may, may take a moment. Uh, someone go to Revelation 4.11 and read that, though, too. That's really important. Someone want to grab that? Revelation 4.11? Okay, that very last part. Can you read it again? By his will, what? So this is really interesting. You've got John, the Apostle John, recording what's being proclaimed about God here. He created all things. But not only that, by his will, they existed. Like all things existed and were created. Because what some people will do, um, Latter-day Saints or otherwise, but mostly Latter-day Saints, when you, uh, the verse that Dean was reading, the passage he's reading, Hebrews 11, 1 to 3 there, when you go read that, it'll, they'll say, well, creation just means to put together. So the matter was already there and God would just put it together. That's what it means to create. Well, Revelation 4.11 doesn't leave any room for that. By his will, all things existed and were created. So now you've got two different words used, <laughs> and one of them means just to exist. It means to be. All things, it could be translated, by his will, all things are, and they were created. Okay? So anyway, that's a, that's a good one. Now i can I got to find this. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah, by, by his will, it's by his, yes. Entirely by his will alone. That's it, yep. Uh, not 4.16, I don't think. Maybe, oh, 4.17. Yeah, 4.17. So I'll put 16 and 17 together. Okay, I feel better now. I, it's, like, it's like when you have a sneeze, 
It's, you got to sneeze, you know, you can't just hold it in whenever you can't find a verse. So, yes, in uh, Romans 4.17, it says that God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's pretty cool. He calls into being that which does not exist. Okay. Ah, I feel better now. Uh, Okay, the Holy Spirit is glorious. I think this is where we'll finish today. 1 Peter 4, 14. Let's look at, look at uh, this passage here. We'll finish here today to see the glory of the Holy Spirit. How glorious are you? What do you think? How glorious are you? <laughs> yeah, well, a good way to answer that from what we've been studying in 2 Corinthians is It depends on if we're talking about the inside or the outside, right? Outside man wasting away, inside being renewed day by day. Well, the Holy Spirit, let's see how glorious He is. 1 Peter 4, would someone read uh, 12 to 14? 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. Who's got that for us? Okay, go ahead. All right. Uh, The first part is... First part of verse 14 is hard to swallow, isn't it? If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Wow. You think, how could that be? That's because our honor comes from God, not from man, right? This is the same guy, Peter, who was imprisoned and beaten all through the book of Acts for preaching in the name of Jesus. And in Acts 5.41, it says that he rejoiced that he was counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Pretty good perspective. Well, you are blessed if you're reviled for the name of Christ because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Okay, so a sweeping statement that's being used here, not not trying to say there are two Holy Spirits, the Holy Spirit of glory and the Holy Spirit of God. This is one and the same. The Holy Spirit of God, he's also the Holy Spirit of glory. He is glorious. And notice, too, that he is talking to believers. Those who are suffering for the name of Christ... So his disciples, Jesus' followers, those who have believed in the gospel, they are the ones who have the opportunity to be blessed by the Spirit because he rests on them. Again, in the coming weeks, we're going to see a lot more in the Bible about the Holy Spirit, but we're starting to see a couple of elements here where you have believers in Jesus having the assurance that God himself, God the Spirit, is with them. And you don't see that type of ministry of the Holy Spirit toward the world. You see that toward believers throughout the Bible, but not toward unbelievers. And that's going to become a pretty important distinction uh, as we go through this study. That's not to say the Holy Spirit is inactive in the world. In fact, next week, we're going to see in John 16, where Jesus explicitly says what the Spirit is doing in the world. However, when you get into this language of being sealed by the Spirit, you're sealed until the day of redemption. He rests upon you. You're blessed by Him. He brings about fruit. He gives you spiritual gifts. He guides you. He leads you. He assures you that you're a child of God. On and on and on and on and on and on it goes. That's only in the realm of the church. You do not see that in the realm of the world. Okay? So, important... uh, What's a, a good word I can use here? Bifurcation. That's an important bifurcation to have in your mind. Yeah, well, there you go. A 25-cent word. 
Other thoughts or questions on the Holy Spirit before we wrap up here? Okay. Very good. Well, next week we'll finish off these verses. Uh, we've got Luke 1, Psalm 139, 1 Corinthians 2, and John 16 before we get into uh, Jesus' teachings on the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, very well. I'll pray for us and then we'll move on to the next thing. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've made, that you've allowed us to participate in, that we can live and move and have our being in you and together here in this church with this body of believers. Help us to today gain a better perspective on this life and what it is that you've called us to do, that you would generate faithfulness in our hearts and more love toward you and toward one another. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that he is so active in our lives in ways that we just don't even recognize, but that you show your faithfulness to us and that you've sent him and that he does work in our hearts and minds day by day. Thank you so much, and we love you for this work that you do and for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Just so you know, too, if you listen to my podcast, the Do Theology podcast, this... Wednesday, there's an episode coming out that's all about how the Holy Spirit leads Christians in this life. So that's uh, our longest episode, just uh, the longest one that's just been me and my co-host. It's an hour and a half, and we talk through how the Holy Spirit leads us. Watch out for that.